This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. 12 hours, believe it or not. 12 hours from now, I'm going to be saying probably exactly the same thing, except it's going to be 9 in the morning for our usual Saturday show, so 9 a.m. to noon. So you're going to be sick of me by the time you get to noon tomorrow. Uh, if you're not, you can hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Grasa, G-R-A-C-A. Jordan Renan, who covers the Giants for us here at ESPN, is going to join us in about a half an hour. We haven't had a chance to talk much Giants over the last couple of weeks, right? After the draft, rookie minicamp, Dexter Lawrence, Contract extension, what's the latest with Saquon, all some of the things we will throw Jordan's way coming up a little bit later on this hour. Um, you know, we ended the last hour talking about the Emmanuel Quickly situation when Andre called from down in Georgia. By the way, that's a great job by Andre. Down in Georgia, still listen to the show. Technology is a beautiful thing. So is loyalty and dedication. But what IQ, they need more, right? They need more. They've gotten nothing from him in the playoffs. Absolutely nothing. He's averaging like eight points a game so far in the postseason. And this is a guy who, during the regular season, was somebody you looked to for a little bit of a boost off the bench. Maybe more so than anybody when it comes to at least scoring. Josh Hart's game is not scoring. It's doing all the other things. Doing them really, really well. So, if you're talking about Emmanuel quickly and how you get this guy going, Josh Hart yesterday practiced was asked the same thing when he was talking to the media about how do you get IQ a little bit more active here in the postseason? And it was interesting because Josh took the approach of, you know what, point the finger at me. Take a listen. I think just make sure we continue to try to find him, you know, when he's open. I got to take that into my account, uh, into account uh, on myself. You know, there's a lot of times where I have the ball after a defensive rebound or whatever it is, and sometimes I'm, I'm tunnel vision, you know, at the rim, and I – and I'm missing him when he's wide open, you know, for corner threes or, you know, running in threes on that, on that wing. So got to continue to find him, you know, when he's open, continue to give him confidence, give the ball to him and let him go out there and play his game. I think that's the biggest thing. Like I said, there's highs and lows of the season. The biggest thing is to be, be even. And I think that's something that he's doing and we just got to continue to help him and to find him when he's open. I don't want to sound like a broken record. And I know there's extenuating circumstances here at play that are factoring into the decision. Josh Hart, I want on the bench. Not on the bench like don't play him, but coming off the bench. You know, he could still play his 30, 35 minutes a night or whatever you're playing him. That's fine. But I just, it feels like with him in the starting lineup, you look at this second unit right now. And, and for example, look at the other night. The best guy they had off the bench was, was Isaiah Hartenstein. And he's not a guy scoring for you. So if you could tell me that IQ is going to find his game again and he's going to become a scoring threat, then maybe, maybe you can live with Hart in the starting lineup. Or on the flip side, if you're going to tell me that Quentin Grimes is going to become the guy he was at the tail end of the regular season was he, when he was having 20-plus point games with a little bit of regularity. Unless one of those two things happen right now, I, I, I just think Hart's more valuable coming off the bench. But it's not my call. Coach knows the team better. Uh, let's get back to the phones, 800-919-3776. Spike is in St. Pete. He's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Spike, good evening. How are you? Well, I'm pretty good, Dan. Uh, a couple of corrections. Uh, just not corrections, but uh, you don't have the luxury of doing what you want to do now. 
uh, with, with Quick. I understand it. Uh, and I told Larry and Gordon because, uh, you know, during the week I stay up, I go over the games with them after each game. It's, uh, sure. I've been doing it since Bill Daughtry's days. So it's uh, wonderful. I have the opportunity. Well, it's raw, you know. Mm-hmm. But I want to tell you one quick thing about the seating. Remember where Cal Ramsey used to sit when you got the wide shot of the Knicks bench? And kind of like right to the almost perpendicular a little bit. Right, right. So the Knicks bench used to be on the other side. Well, anyway, long story short, so I had those seats uh, with the redheaded woman. I don't think she's around with us anymore, Sat. And in 80, I think 80 or 81, whenever Red came back the second time and Mike mm-hmm. Woodson was an on pick, I sat right behind him because Red always kept the rook, as he called them, next to him. And I became very friendly with Mike Woodson, which voted well when he came back. So it's a small little circle. The funny part was, if I told you what I paid to those tickets <laughs> back in the 70s, they were, I think, $12.50. That won't, even get you, that won't even get you like a fancy sandwich at the garden now. I could probably, you know, that would be the cost of a phone finger and, uh, my God, about the, well, <laughs> yeah. game. Listen, the game, game wasn't as popular, but that's revisionist history, and you don't want to hear that. So I think you don't have the luxury of it quickly now. And I talk to Larry and Bill and those guys forever, they're friends. And I, you, you just, look, the youngsters normally, there's, a, there's an adjustment period. You know that. When he took Obi out of the game, not because he missed a three, because Obi, and I love the kid. I watched his pops play at Rucker. He turns his head on defense, so you just can't. Tibbs won't tolerate that. He just doesn't have the ability to pick up the defense. He's like Kevin Knox was, you know, but not Kevin Knox. He's more athletic, Obi. So I think it's, that's why rotations go down to six and seven. Then normally it's seven, and the minutes go up. You need your best, better players to play. Uh, when listen, when when. Uh, Hart played for Portland, and Dame went down. He was averaging 18, 19 points a game. He could score, but that's not. He just does everything so well. And I, you're right. I would love him to come in and pick up the tempo. But again, be repetitive. You don't have the luxury. So right now, the strategy to beat the Knicks because they would have lost the other night, Dan. But those guys who were mostly undrafted who made the threes, they took 49 of them so that you play basketball. So their legs sure. went. That's what happened at the end of the game. We outscored them 24 to 12. And the last thing, you got to let Miami shoot the three. Bam, I don't think, took a three all year. So he's not going to come out. Uh, Butler's not a good three-point shooter. I know he's shooting 40% now. But just don't let Jimmy get to the basket. In Miami, you make your 15 free throws attempts. You know, that's the way it works. Just play your defense. Keep your turnovers down. Out-rebound them. Because my guess, and have a good weekend. See if I can call you in the morning. My best guess is that the Knicks out-rebounded for the 82 games. They probably out-rebounded the opponent 70 times. That's my, my test. Am I close? Well, they were plus 16 on, on, uh, in game two. So that's a pretty no, big number, no, don't you think? Yeah, but you saw every game all year like I did, and I'm, I'm guessing that the Knicks out-rebounded seven out of eight games. They owe it because they missed so many threes. You know, when you when you shoot a lot of threes and you miss them, you're all apt to get the long rebound quickly, and R.J. Barrett come across the lane and grab a long rebound. That's why Tibbs wanted them to shoot the threes. It's not that they made so many; they got another attempt. It's a it's a strange strategy, but it makes sense. It'd take more shots. That's why they get so many offensive rebounds, which is yeah. a bad stat. It's a bad stat for Moses Malone. You know, putting it back, putting it back, and getting three offensive rebounds. But listen, I think we're going to win the game. I think it's going to be close. I think we'll get a split and then tie down the boats, man, because that last three are going to be crazy.
It would be great if they get the one tomorrow. And Spike, thanks for the phone call. Because then if you get the one tomorrow, I, again, I'm not going to use the term house money, but game four, at least you have a little bit of margin for error. You'd hate to go into game number four almost needing to win that game. Because you don't want to be faced with a situation to be down 3-1 and have to win three straight. Against the playoff-tested team like Miami, you don't. You know, thinking about the jitters, like somebody brought up the jitters with the young players, you know, and Emmanuel quickly or whatnot. Remember, a couple of years ago when they made the playoffs, and I know that that series, remember, against the Atlanta Hawks, virtually nobody played well for the Knicks. Quickly gave you even less that series than he's giving you right now, right? And I know that he was a rookie, and I know that he wasn't as polished a player as he is right now, but he was more of a non-factor in that series than he's been so far in these playoffs. Got to get more from him. You have to. Artie in Brooklyn's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Art, how you doing? Hey, Dan, what's going on? But you believe I'm talking Knicks instead of Jets? Yeah, what is – I mean, wait a second. Before I, before Aaron Rodgers is the Jet quarterback. We've been waiting for this for how long, and you want to talk about the Knicks? <laughs> a little nutty, right? I, I, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I turned it on. I heard you talking about the Knicks. I said, all right, let me talk to my man about Um, I don't know – I'm thinking like you're putting the onus, not the onus, but on, on quick. And I'm thinking I never thought that they were even going to get past Cleveland. I didn't think they were as good. And they surprised me. And, and I actually called you and asked you, what would the Knicks be if they made that Donovan Mitchell trade? And would you still do it? Like, even after knowing that they won, would you still do it? And... I think you kind of like, along with all the Knicks players, saying, we won the series. Why would you have made that trade? I'm asking you, what do mm. they need? What's the ideal? And don't say LeBron, obviously, right? Yeah. But what's the ideal person now to put them into that Boston Celtics, Sixers, Golden State, uh, Denver? Um, well, I don't think move. I don't think they're far away from a team like Philadelphia. Philadelphia's got the one dominant player in Embiid. Harden can turn back the clock when he wants, like he did in game number one without Joel Embiid in that Boston series. But the other thing you got to remember with the Knicks, look, they're building something, but you know as well as I do that they're not satisfied. Like they, to a man, don't think this team is good enough to win a championship. So they're on the prowl right. for another big piece. We know that. Remember, early in the right. show, I don't know that, if you heard that, it. That's the, that's, the, that's the question because, to me, you know, it's kind of funny. When they didn't make the Donovan Mitchell trade, right. I'm like, you know what? They were, they were more than Donovan Mitchell away. Here comes Hart. And I had no idea how good Hart was. I didn't know how good Brunson was. And it's amazing what that Hart trade made the Knicks because there's no way we're beating Cleveland without Hart. And they just put him another level. Um, I'm just thinking, I just want to get your opinion on what you thought was the next player. And obviously, I mean, the management made that move for hard. They made the move for Brunson. So they, I mean, I got to have faith in they're going to make the right move. The last thing I want to tell you before I talk Jets yeah. is guess who's going to be on the Steve Harvey show on Tuesday talking about fantasy football and the Jets? Who? Me! How are you on the Steve Harvey show? And got on the Steve Harvey show on Tuesday. I just had to let you know. Maybe you just like just take a peek. How did you? How did you get on the Steve Harvey show? Okay, so let's 
Yeah. I'm watching the show last year. Yeah. And I see an episode where the husband sues the wife because he ruined his football jersey. <laughs> so I'm telling my wife, listen, maybe we can get some jet tickets out of this state. She goes, what are you talking about? What are you going to sue me for? I said, I don't know. I'll make up something. You're like a bad cook. She goes, you take me to court. We're going to divorce court. So I call <laughs> up my buddy and say, listen, dude, remember that money that I thought you owed me for fantasy football? And you said, he said, would you cut that out, man? He goes, give it up. You don't owe me. I, I don't owe you nothing. I go, I'm suing you, and I'm putting you on the Steve Harvey show. He goes, yeah, you do that. And I did. <laughs> and you got you on the and damn show? On the show? Oh, we my God. on the show. It airs Tuesday night at 9 o'clock. I, Artie, I got to check this feature. out. I, it's hard to believe, but I am the main feature on that bleeping show. You get you get a nice payday for this thing or what? You get a chance to see it. Did you get a nice payday for this thing or no? I am not going to tell you. You got to watch it. Now that's a tease. Now that's a tease. Art. Selfies on me, buddy. I I love you. Art, be good. I got to check this out. Tuesday night, Steve Harvey show. I'm there. I'm there. We have a show Tuesday night. I think we do. So we're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to either DVR it or watch it when we're on the air. Oh my gosh. So Artie's going Hollywood on us. How about that? We, lo- we lost Artie to Hollywood. He's going to be a big deal. He's never going to call the show anymore. He's never going to come on because he's, you know, in, in TV land now with Steve Harvey, of all people. Next, you know what? Next he's going to be on the Family Feud. It's going to be some, like, crazy football fan or crazy sports fan episode of Family Feud, and Artie's going to be on that. If this is just a stepping stone from him. Just a stepping stone. How about that? 800-919-3776. That's the telephone number. We come back. Matt Harvey officially called it quits today, and it got me thinking. You talk about one of the great what-ifs that we've had in our city. I think he qualifies. We'll look back on the dark night when we return. Jordan Renan, a little after 9.30 on the Giants, right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs> Matt Harvey announced his retirement today, and... You know, some people might have heard that news and said, well, I thought he was retired already. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can make that case because he hasn't pitched in the big leagues yet this year. He pitched for Italy in the World Baseball Classic um, this past uh, go-round, and he actually wasn't too bad. You know, he, he pitched pretty well, all things considered. But, you know, the times we did see him in the major leagues, and he didn't pitch in the big leagues all of last year either. And remember he had that 60-game drug suspension, you know, the involvement with the uh, thing that led to eventually the – uh, the death of Tyler Skaggs with the uh, Anaheim Angels, the pitcher with the, the drugs that were being passed around in the clubhouse or thereabouts. But every single shot that he seemed to get or, you know, the latest sort of comeback trail, whether it was with Kansas City or Baltimore, and he just wasn't the same. And he was just getting absolutely tattooed. I mean, the, his last three stops in the big leagues, you know, 19, 20, and 21, he was with the Angels in 19, he had a 70 RA. Royals in, in 2020, he had an 11 and a half ERA. You know, the Orioles in 21, he had a six and a half ERA. And he was just never the same guy. It wasn't even the Tommy John surgery. It was the thoracic outlet surgery that he had following the, uh, the Tommy John, which came in like 16 or 17. I can't even remember. But if you would rewind about 10 years ago, you know, to 2013, that was the year that the All-Star game was at City Field. 
And it was Harvey's first full season in the big leagues. Because remember, he came up late in 2012, and he was striking guys out left and right. And you're like, all right, wow, this this kid, th- this is the shining light. This is the guy that, you know, the Mets are going to give the ball to once every five days, and, and they mean business. And and there were people drawing comparisons then to, like, you know, what Tom Seaver was when he came up with the Mets. You know, they were the expansion Mets still. They had never had a winning season Hell, I don't even know if they made it out of last place, for crying out loud, by the time Seaver got up there. And once he arrived, it was somebody who wasn't going to tolerate losing any longer. I don't want to care that we're the you know, happy Mets, the lovable Mets. You know, gosh, we tried our best Mets. No, we, it, it meant business. And Seaver instilled that into the franchise, and that's why he's got the franchise moniker. And, you know, he's the greatest player to ever put on a Met uniform. And it was a little bit like that with Harvey. You know, the Mets were a horrible team when he came up, and they were in the process of still rebuilding under Sandy Alderson and and, and Terry Collins. And you heard about all these great young pitchers that they had in the minor leagues, you know, with Steven Matz. And they made, you know, uh, they made the trade for Zach Wheeler, and he was also in the minor leagues, and he was going to be coming up here soon. And, you know, not long after that, they made the trade with Toronto with R.A. Dickey, and then that brought Noah Syndergaard over. And, you know, we didn't really know too much about Jacob DeGrom at that point, but, you know, this was a guy who was a live young arm, and Rafael Montero was another one of those guys. But Harvey was, like, the first one up, and, and, and he was supposed to be the guy. And once 2013 hit, when the Mets still weren't very, very good, the guy started the season in 2013, and it was like, oh, my God. Like, he's morphed himself into, like, one of the best pitchers of baseball. Like, and, and this is our guy. Sports Illustrated did the cover story. The Dark Knight, those Harvey days at City Field, those were events. You know, his days when he was getting ready to pitch or when it was his day to pitch, I mean, Met fans probably hadn't seen anything like that since the Dwight Gooden days, which just like the phenomenon of knowing that that guy who was going to toe the rubber that day could do something record-setting each and every time he stepped out on that mound. You know, even DeGrom, you know, DeGrom was great and, you know, the Cy Youngs and everything, but even DeGrom starts never had the life of the Matt Harvey, you know, uh, appearances. And if you think back to that 2013, he had a great season. He started the All-Star game at City Field, and you thought you were looking at a guy who was going to win multiple Cy Young awards. You thought you were going to see a guy that was going to lead the Mets to bigger and better things, multiple trips to the World Series. I mean, the possibilities were endless. And then he ends up getting hurt late in the year, and he has the Tommy John surgery, and he misses all of 2014. And then he comes back in 2015 and helps pitch the Mets to the World Series and has that phenomenal game in the World Series, you know, that game number five at City Field, and then things just went south in the ninth inning. And then it's like ever since that, that was the high point right there. And it was all downhill after that, right? The thoracic outlet, missing time after that the the off-the-field issues, and it was just like one thing after another snowballed to where they finally cut their losses, the Mets, and said, all right, enough is enough. But ask any Met fan, and for those that remember, of course, you know, if I would have told you 10 years ago in 2013 when he was in the midst of having that season, that fast forward a decade later, his career would be over, his final record as a starting pitcher would be, you know, 16 games under 500. He'd have only 50 wins. And his, you know, ERA would be like four and a half. And those would be the heights. He would never reach those heights again. You would have thought that I was crazy or you would have me tested, you know, that I was insane. But it was like, you know, the old example of a shooting star, you know, here too soon. And it just, it never hung around. And it's funny because in that time since, like, Jacob DeGrom came along. 
And it's funny because Harvey and Jacob DeGrom were in the same rotation that got the Mets to the World Series alongside Noah Syndergaard and Steven Matz. And Harvey was the guy. Harvey was the ace. It wasn't. Think about that. Jacob DeGrom, who became, you know, arguably one of the best pitchers of the generation, one of the best pitchers the Mets have ever had, won two Cy Young Awards, and yet Harvey was the guy in that rotation for a couple of years. It wasn't Jacob DeGrom. That's how special he was, and that's how special it, it, it could have been. And, you know, you talk about the what if with Matt Harvey, but I, I think back, like, in that period of Mets history, like, what if those pitchers could all have stayed healthy? How things would have been different. Harvey and DeGrom and Syndergaard and Wheeler. And do you realize those guys, like, remember the, the, the photos that they did of them at spring training? Matt's Wheeler, Syndergaard, DeGrom, Harvey. There was only one time, do you realize, as long as they were together, one time where they each made a turn in the rotation together. So, like, five consecutive games, those guys were the Mets starting pitchers. And we had all these dreams of, like, you know, the Atlanta Braves of the 90s, 2.0, with Smoltz and Glavin and Maddox. And it's just another example of just how hard it is. You know, you got to have a little bit of luck involved to stay healthy, to be able to deliver on all this great talent and potential and promise and all those things. And, um, you know, he's, he realized that he just couldn't dial it up anymore and pitch at this level, you know, effectively enough to where he'd be able to get big league hitters out. It's one thing to be able to make adjustments and, you know, when you don't have that fastball anymore and you don't have that electric stuff, but it just became too much for him there. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's sad in a way. Right. It's almost bittersweet because you look back and when you hear that somebody like that is finally calling the quits, you say, boy, what could have been? And there are a lot of cases like that in sports, a lot of cases like that in our city about guys whose careers were just cut short and never lived up to the hype or the promise of, you know, what they could have been. A lot of them. And there probably will be more along the way. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. We come back. We will switch gears. Do some giant football. Draft is over. Minicamp for the rookies is underway. We'll talk to our pal Jordan Renan coming up next. Dan Gross' show, we roll to the top right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso show on 98.7 ESPN. Progress to the next stage of the OTAs and the on-field workouts, then mini camps, and then before you know it, it'll be training camp and the real thing. There is no off-season in the NFL. It's just one continuous calendar. And joining us now is the gentleman who covers the Giants for us here at ESPN. He does it better than all. He is our good pal, Jordan Renan, who ignored my text message yesterday, but it's nice enough that he finally got back to me a day later. Right? Is that is that right? Well, let me just tell you, I was in the middle of a golf round. So I, I saw it on my, so I saw it on my watch, right? Like on the mm. Apple Watch, and mm. then it's, I didn't respond Mr. to the technology moment, so over my here. phone on me. And by the time I, you know, I, I remembered it was a day later. Mm. Yeah, I'll tell you this: when if Dick Tracy, when your producer Dick, actually texted me, when yeah. your producer texted me, hey, nine or nine, nine fifteen or nine thirty, I was like, oh my god, I forgot to get back to. Him. Yeah, I forgot. I'll tell you what, if Dick Tracy so was really looking no at messages real, no on his watch reason. like he used to do, he would have got back to me. <laughs> well, later in the day, Dexter Lawrence also got mm. uh, got signed, so I kind of got distracted. I mean, yeah. clearly no good reason. I mean, I have no good reason. I'm, I'm no, the, no, none. No, but because you know what? There was the Dexter, the <laughs> Dexter Lawrence mouth. thing is good. even worse. That's even worse to use as an excuse. You know why? Because Dexter, Daniel, starts with the letter D. It should have rang a bell. Still nothing from All you. All right, that's a stretch. All right, that's a stretch. You went, you went a little too far. 
You don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm justified. Daniel and Dexter? I mean, come on. I don't put the two and two together. Well, I, I mean, you had that. that you asked me to come on. That's That's exactly, exactly. Well, anyway, you know what? We finally made it happen, and, and the world We're is here. a better yeah. place for it. What are we talking about? Uh, all right, We're let's talk. Happy. You know what? Dexter Lawrence. Let's We're talk happy. about that because that mm-hmm. took up a big part of your yesterday. Um, I, I'm sure that he's happy. He's a lot richer gentleman. Is this something that uh, the Giants are comfortable with numbers-wise? Yeah, I think it was always going to end up in the fringe. The Giants knew that Dexter Lawrence, Daniel Jones, those are premium positions. Uh, the market was being reset at that defensive tackle position. You knew Dexter Lawrence was about to get paid. You see what De'Ron Payne from Washington got paid. You see what Jeffrey Simmons from the Titans got paid. And uh, that, that's that's the market, $22 million, right? Um, Jeffrey Simmons got it up to 23 And he's a little bit of a better pass rusher than Dexter Lawrence. So I think this is probably, you know, I, I said $22 million. That's where we're going to come in at 22 and 22 and a half. And that's exactly where it came in. So not really surprising at all. Uh, defensive tackles good defensive linemen get paid. But the Giants are betting on the fact that what Dexter Lawrence did this past season, right, is what mm-hmm. they're going to get moving forward. Because he was a way better pass rusher, career-high seven-and-a-half sacks. I mean, before then, what was it? It was like two-and-a-half sacks a season, basically. So, uh, yeah, they're betting that they're going to get more of that moving forward, and uh, we'll see. You know what's ironic, too? Their two big splashy moves of the offseason were re-signing first-round picks by Dave Gettleman. Yeah, yeah, they are. I mean, uh, look, we could say what we want about Gettleman, but he didn't. He left a couple good pieces out. He put together horrible teams because look at the results. Um, Dexter Lawrence is a high end player. We're still the jury's still out on what exactly Daniel Jones is, right? Mm-hmm. If he's a middle of the road quarterback, the Giants just paid a heck of a lot of money. But they're still making the bet that he becomes more than that. But we're entering year five, and we still haven't seen it, Dan. You know. Definitely not, and that's what they're entrusting, that he is ultimately going to take that next step, but I guess only time will tell. All right, so now the missing piece is Saquon. Where, where do things stand mm-hmm. right now in your estimation? What does your gut feeling tell you how this is all going to play out? Yeah, as far as I understand, and last I checked uh, earlier today, that uh, I didn't hear of any uh, talks starting up yet. Uh, the fact that the Giants are willing to go back to him makes me think that they'll probably in the end find a middle ground, uh, probably begrudgingly by the Giants. But, uh, you know, they're all right with the franchise tag. Trust me, Joe Shane, if he had his brothers, would probably, you know, in an ideal world, not pay a running back over money, big money and a big contract. But Saquon is a big piece of this offense. He's a leader of that locker room. And so you have to kind of weigh, how important is it for you to have the most influential player in your locker room happy? And I think at the end of the day, you know, Saquon is not exactly in a, a position of power here, leverage-wise and money-wise, uh, that there's there's something that they can agree to, and it's better than the franchise tag for Saquon. He'll eventually, I think, jump at it, and they'll get something done. Yeah, because, like, I, I look at it as Saquon has gone on record as saying he's not somebody that wants to reset the market for the running back position as far as the numbers are concerned, Right. He turned right. down reportedly. But he did say he wanted to get what he thought he deserved and was worth. So, but if, now, I mean, you have that? to you have to find that common ground though, because if McCaffrey is making sixteen, right? He turned down thirteen, yep. so it's between thirteen and sixteen in his mind, right? Yeah, I think that's what it is. But look, 
there's a lot of other things that come into it, like how much of it is guaranteed, right? Basically, if Saquon plays on the franchise tag these next two years, it's $21 million guaranteed, right? Two years worth of the franchise tag. So to start, if you're Saquon, we got to offer me at least the $21 million, $22 million guaranteed. Otherwise, I'd rather almost just play on the franchise tag. So that's kind of the starting point. I expect them to basically, when it's all said and done, like that's what the deal's essentially going to be. It could be three or four years, whatever. It's only going to be two years guaranteed, and it'll probably be the, the two franchise tag, but at least you get the guaranteed up front, and, you know, there you go. And then they can make it fluff and look whatever they want, you know, money-wise, and put all these uh, per-game roster bonuses and other fancy little tools to make the numbers a little bit higher. I, I know it's different to you and I, and players want the security and all those type of things, and they're very anti-franchise tag. But the way you just, like, outlined it, if somebody told me, you know what, I'll give you, you make $21 million the next two years, but it's essentially two one-year deals, I, I, I certainly wouldn't complain about that. But the, but players don't well, like the franchise the problem, tag. Dan. Here's the problem. What if he gets injured this year? He doesn't get that next, uh, no, you true. know, $11 million. True. So that that's the, that's the risk and for a running back. That's why you okay. You say okay, fine. I'll just take the twenty. Give me twenty. Give me, give me the twenty-two, twenty-three million dollars guaranteed. A little bit more than the franchise tag, and that's better than waiting for the two franchise tags. Because if you get injured, that eleven million dollars, twelve million dollars for next year is not there anymore. Talking Giants with the franchise tag, and it'll be a free agent, and then it'll be, be right. It'll be it'll be damaged goods, and then he's going to have to go prove himself on a kind of a prove it deal more than anything else. Now, you're right. Uh, Jordan Renan talking Giants with us here on 98.7 ESPN. Overall thoughts on the um, on the draft last weekend. How do you think they fared? Yeah, I don't know how you look at the first three rounds and you're not happy with what they did, right? I mean, I agree. Uh, first round, Deontay Banks, supremely talented. Everyone I talked to thought he was a good player. I, you know, I, even someone who I know who's actually was representing an agent who was representing a cornerback that was kind of in that range. Like when I picked Deontay Banks as the most likely Giants draft pick, he's like, yeah, you know, he's not going to last still there. Like I was speaking to all these teams, and I'm like, yeah, you're probably right, but guess what? He was there. They had to move yeah. up one spot for him. And then so you end up with John Michael Smith, who you know they desperately needed a center. You know, he was either him or Joe Tittman, one, two on everybody's center board. And then Jalen Hyatt, clearly they had a second-round grade on. And uh, he's sitting there at the top of the third, so they were aggressive and they went to go get it. So here's what I like about Joe Shane's approach to the draft, what we've learned through two years. He's capable of being flexible. Last year, in the second round, they traded back twice, collected more capital, right? This year, saw players he liked, traded up. You look at Dave Gettleman, you look at Jerry Reese before him, they had this like old, I'm setting my ways philosophy. We'll trade up for a guy, like, we basically were never going to trade back. It took Joe Judge, like, you know, to convince Dave Gettleman to, to trade back once they missed on Devontae Smith a couple of years ago. But Gettleman didn't believe in that. You know, he was, it was right. never something he was really going to do willingly. Uh, so the fact that Joe Shane is flexible in that regard, it's just like the bar was so low. Like, we're, we're so excited that there's confidence, right? It's like all you got to do is, like, make moves that make sense. I'm like, man, this guy is a genius because we're so used to just first guessing every move they make like wait they're signing golden tate to a long-term deal like he's 30 plus years old like what like how does that make sense oh yeah we're gonna replace odell beckham with a 30 year old golden tate who's on the decline oh yeah that's, that sounds great by the way he's a slot receiver and we already have sterling shepherd you know like that's that that's what the bar was to you know joe shane just everything he does makes sense to me 
Well, that's where they hired him, and that's what you expect. And so far, I mean, the track record. Look, it's a small body of work, at least with this team. But you can't yeah. complain off of one year. And the bar is still sticking low, Dan. Bar is still sticking low. You're right. And look, you know, you talk about Banks, where the Giants got him in the first round. You can say the same thing about Jalen Hyatt. Hyatt was a guy, you know, that was talked about as maybe yeah. even one of those wide receivers in the first round for them, and they get him in the third. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I made a list of most likely players for day two that the Giants would draft. And I didn't put Jalen Hyde on there. And someone said, how come he's not on there? And because I thought he was going to go, especially from speaking to people around the league, early at the beginning of the second round. And not forget the beginning of the third round. And so the fact that he was still there, huge win for them, in my opinion. How about where this team is right now, heading into the month of May, where, you know, you still have that kind of wave two of free agency, if you will, that there are still some bargains maybe you could get out there to kind of fine-tune things. Do you think that this club and Joe Shane would be on the prowl for maybe one position in particular that they would maybe like to maybe add a little bit more depth to? I think linebacker and uh, defensive line are still places as you could see them at a veteran. But we're talking just like, you know, minimum salary kind of guy, just keep adding depth. They don't have a ton of money. I mean, this uh, Dexter Lawrence deal is going to save them some money against the cap, probably around like the $6 million range. But they were very getting very close to up against it. I mean, this is, for the most part, that's going to go towards uh, operating costs throughout the season and just signing guys and, and your draft class. So, you know, I think they're, we're not going to see any moves that really move the needle here, you know, like a, Resigning Nick Williams, a veteran defensive lineman, is like a kind of move I could, I could still see happening. Something like that. Well, have you uh, gotten any sources, any moles or anything regarding the prospects of a uh, week one Jet-Giant clash on that 9-11 Monday night to open the season when the schedule comes out this week? Yeah, I did not hear that. I, I've heard the little rumors, the little whispers are out there, the little birdies that are chirping, but uh, it's really these days would be – there's so much stuff out there when it comes to the schedule stuff that's not real. Right. That I've kind of tuned it out in recent years. And until the day of, like, it's not even worth listening to anybody because these things, they're still, like, contorting and changing that schedule up. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But I do think we are likely to get a much – after last year, I, I pretty much guarantee that. We're going to have more primetime big giant games coming up. This should be fun. Yeah, I, I think for this city football. Then? What's that? You see their schedule? Their road away schedule next year is primo A+. Plus. What's their – What's fan, the... You want to go on a trip? Come on. San Francisco. Ooh. Las Vegas. Ooh. Miami. Ooh. Arizona. New Orleans. Well – I know somebody who covers the team who probably, if he's looking at that road <laughs> trip to Miami and Arizona, he hopes it's probably in December, both of those, right? Am I, uh, am I correct? You are definitely not wrong. I'm not wrong. I, I clubs, didn't think so. The clubs are packed and ready to go. <laughs> I'm sure they are. Yeah, I, you know, you like this, I said. The only, the only time during the season you get to play golf is when they're on the road in a good yeah. spot like that. Saturday. You know, the family, you're busy. Like, you can't, you can't play it off except during the season. Yeah, and even the in the, pl- the playoffs travel. last year, you go, didn't even get that. Saturday morning. You didn't get that luxury in the playoffs either because you had a trip to Minnesota and a trip to Philadelphia, which that wasn't going to pay any dividends for you in January. You well, know that. Trust me, Dan. You know, the way it worked out, everyone was like, 
oh, we definitely want Minnesota and not San Francisco, you know, uh, from a competitive standpoint, well, this guy might have won in San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Turned out exactly. got lucky, though. There was like there was like a rainstorm there, rain for like a week straight in San Francisco, I'm, uh, right around that game. The, the playoffs, for the, they end up like Seattle, right? Yeah. Uh, but it, it rained like crazy out there. So I remember that. Down there. That's a long trip. Well, you're going to be making it this year, and I tell you, it's going to be fun for uh, both sides of this thing uh, with these two teams this year when it comes to some of these games yeah. on the schedule and oh, a lot of primetime sure. Giants Jets will be a fun one. Yeah, I no would doubt. I would be stunned if Giants Jets is not in primetime. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it, I I, I, I mean, don't I don't know if it'll be week 1 though, but it it will probably get the treatment, that's for sure. Yeah, I I expect it to in some way be a primetime game. And also, I think how many Giants it, Giants, Raiders in Vegas. I don't care when they put that game. I mean, that stadium is going to be all Giant fans. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, and, and even when there they go down to Miami. a lot of Giant fans out there. Yeah. And when they go down to Miami. Yeah, obviously. Uh, always. Always. That Miami game is always, you know, there's so many New York transplants from in down in Florida. That's an easy one. The arena tomorrow is going to be uh, MSG South for the Knicks Heat game. Oh, Definitely. Definitely, and we know we know what Florida's like, and it, but it also works out. I mean, you know, you were now, you've been at a gazillion Jet fans. The number of Miami Dolphin fans around here is perplexing. It really is. Always has been. So it's it's the Dan Marino factor. It it goes back to the it Marino really is factor. everyone, yeah, everyone our age, like our age, our generation, you know, like around forty, like there are all those people that just like I'm a Dan Marino fan. They end up Miami Dolphin fans living in the New York, New Jersey area. You know how many Italian bakeries I've been to in my life in in North Jersey that they have pictures on the wall, and among them are Dan Marino? Trust me. Multiple. (laughs) Multiple. (laughs) Is he wearing wearing isotoners? No, he's just in his old dolphin lore, not the isotoners, though. I don't think that they could get any of those. Although those were were quality gloves back in the day. You know that. Oh, those were high-end gloves. Dan Marino wore isotoners, man. Kept his hands 100%, 100%, man. All right, buddy. Good stuff. I appreciate it as always. We'll catch up soon. And uh, if I text you again, can you at least text me back? Try not to interrupt golf next time, Dan, okay? Well, tell me when you're golfing. You know, pick... <laughs> I got to give you a heads up on yes. that. Yes. Hey, Deal. I'm going golfing. Don't Deal. text me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll speak to you soon. All right. Be good, buddy. There's Jordan Renan covers the Giants. Yeah, uh, Jordan covers the Giants, of course, for ESPN. Look, it's—I'll it, tell you—we don't want to rush it, right? But September.